Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Lauren. Mike. Lauren, have you tried to download your Twitter archive yet? No, because in the words of the poet Mary Oliver, when the time comes to let it go, you just have to let it go. <laughs> You just have to tweet like your life depends on it, hold it close to you, and then let it go. Okay. I had this thought recently when I was at Blackwater Pond. Really? You went to Blackwater Pond? I was. I was actually there. But no, I I guess if I'm being truthful, as a journalist and as a professional keeper of the historical record, I probably should download my archive. Mm -hmm. Have you done it yet? Uh, Not in years, no. Have you deleted all of your super secret DMs on Twitter? (laughs) I've deleted some of them, but I'm not sure that I actually deleted them. Okay, we need to talk about this. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And we are also joined by Wired security writer Lily Hay Newman. Hi, Lily. Welcome back. Hello. Thanks for having me. As always, it's a pleasure to have you here. So look, we know we've been talking about Twitter a lot on the show recently, and sure, we are journalists, and journalists are obsessed with Twitter. But for today's show, we want to talk about Twitter one more time, but specifically because Twitter is currently suffering some security issues that have wide implications. Since the new boss over there, Elon Musk, laid off roughly 3,700 employees two weeks ago, many people have been keeping close watch over Twitter to see what kind of chaos might erupt. Security professionals and data privacy wonks are watching, and they're probably sighing a lot. But hackers and attackers and scammers are circling the platform as well. Lily, it is always fun to have you on the show, even if when you're here, we always end up talking about these doom and havoc situations. But I guess the first question about the security situation at Twitter we have to ask you is this. 
What is going on inside the company that we know? With the recent layoffs and resignations, how stretched is Twitter's security staff? Yes, this is an important question, and there isn't a ton that we know super specifically, but first of all, half of the workforce was laid off. We just know that broadly. We know that Elon Musk currently is actually encouraging even more people to leave if they're not willing to commit to like a super intense work all the time approach. They have until today, I believe, Thursday, to consent to mega death Twitter or something. (laughs) (laughs) And when we've also seen Musk conduct public firings via tweets just in recent days. And, you know, two and a half weeks ago or so, at the beginning of uh, this whole regime change, we saw Musk broadly fire many executives of the company or have them step down, including, you know, some who work on privacy and trust and identity issues. Uh, within the company. So just all of that paints a picture of an internal situation where there just aren't probably going to be enough warm bodies to do everything that was happening a month ago. And for security, that's always a big issue because security is all about monitoring. It's all about constant vigilance always improving, always uh, investing more. So so this is just a climate that is not going to be conducive to strong cybersecurity defenses broadly. So we know there have been a lot of layoffs. We know that in the missive he sent out earlier this week where he said, you know, if you're not hardcore, don't bother working here. Um, he also said that engineering would be the primary focus with design and product management taking a backseat. Within that engineering structure, we just don't know how many people are going to be focused specifically on security. Is that correct? Right. And certainly, you know, I don't at least have a sense in the new world order anything about, you know, team structures or things like that of how many resources and how many people are going to be dedicated to those things. And keep in mind that IT is also a highly intersecting department with security in any organization. And, you know, things can be structured differently at different places, but just running an organization's devices and servers correctly is a security issue inherently. And speaking of that, we've already seen some things break down from the outside, right? Uh, earlier this week, there was a an issue with the SMS two-factor authentication system on Twitter. Yeah. You know, I did a story about how users were reporting that they couldn't receive authentication codes for logging in or for things like downloading their Twitter archive Uh, They couldn't receive those codes via SMS. And when we tested it internally at Wired, not everyone was having the problem, but some of us uh, were. And in one case, someone received a code on a delay, like they got the SMS text message many hours later, which was strange. The Twitter comms department is currently either non-existent or (laughs) much reduced. So there isn't 
like a good way to get official comment right now about these types of things. So, you know, we don't even have a clear sense of how uh, those texts get sent or used to be sent, or is it uh, an integration with a third-party service, as is often the case where another company will provide the SMS infrastructure, or is it something Twitter does in-house? Who knows? You know, and uh, I also took one for the team, meaning all of you listeners and wired readers out there, and tweeted at Musk directly to <laughs> I ask him. I was going him. to ask if you had done this yet. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I um, am clearly still on the podcast to tell the tale. So I'm doing all right. <laughs> Thanks for checking in. But I didn't get a reply because there's just so many pressing issues for him to tweet about right now. Are you telling us that Elon has not yet fired you from Wired? He does not yet have the ability to do that. Uh, someone did note that perhaps uh, I would cause a real problem by causing him to acquire Wired just so he could fire me. Uh, so hopefully that does not happen. You know, in all the futures I've envisioned for Wired, I have to say being owned by Elon Musk was not one of them. Oh, I've had that dream. And, uh, <laughs> is it a nightmare or a dream? Uh, well, I, uh, no comment. <laughs> If Musk sent out a missive to the Wired folks right now and is like, are you hardcore or are you not? Mm. What would you do? Uh, I would take the severance. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I'd talk to my union rep. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Well played. Well played. Um, okay. So we have seen a breakdown in uh, SMS two-factor authentication. We've also seen some big entities affected by this new verification scheme, which like keeps changing, right? Because some people have been creating fake accounts, but getting blue checks, which make them look valid or legit. And then they're tweeting things that are affecting, say, the share price of giant pharmaceutical companies. What's the worst case scenario for a really, really major security meltdown, though, rather than a verification meltdown? Are all of our DMs exposed? Is our personal and private info used to hack us across other websites? Is there heightened conflict across nation states? Like, what what's really the worst case scenario here? There are a few things that I think we should talk about. Certainly one of them is a massive data breach. The data that Twitter holds, you know, they don't have social security numbers or government identification information. They don't have like health records broadly. They don't have financial data broadly, though people who signed up for Twitter Blue, I guess, needed to provide a credit card to do that. So they have those numbers. But they still have a lot of information about, you know, all their users. So as you said, the contents of direct messages are not end-to-end encrypted and are therefore, you know, accessible and could be compromised in a data breach. They have phone numbers, email addresses, things like that. And then also the social graph of who has communicated with whom over the years and, you know, who people associate with, you know, that type of information can be really sensitive and, you know, is a privacy issue, especially for users who are, you know, activists, journalists, dissidents, and operate in countries under repressive regimes. Like there can be very real safety issues to having social media data out publicly. Uh, But then also, uh, as always, sort of identity theft, 
harassment, any personal details that cyber criminals can get about people can fuel digital crime and scams. So, you know, all the, the data that would be in a massive Twitter breach has implications in that sense. But then there's a lot of other types of things to think about if we really want to get into worst case scenario. And, you know, we're not saying that this has happened or there's evidence that this is happening. But if we view Twitter as being, you know, very much in chaos or in crisis and that, you know, we're just thinking here about what are things that could emerge out of that, you know, the Twitter app is a trusted app on users' phones if, if they've downloaded it. A rogue entity that compromised Twitter's infrastructure could, at least for a brief period, potentially weaponize the Twitter app to do bad things. As you said, like verification gets into these questions about account takeovers. That's already been a problem for Twitter in the past. Uh, so I think it's just conceptually the idea that there's both the data and there's the trusted infrastructure and either could be compromised. What's interesting about doing this thought experiment is that this isn't just true of Twitter. This is true of any entity that has centralized a lot of our data and where we, we trust their software on our devices, things like that. This type of digital infrastructure can be weaponized. It's not uniquely a Twitter thing. All right. Well, let's take a break and we'll come right back. On that uplifting note. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hackers and cyber criminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition. Click Here. And liftoff. Click Here, every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Lily, as you've mentioned, Twitter is in this kind of vulnerable position right now. So as users of Twitter, how worried should we be about our accounts getting taken over or getting locked out or our DMs being exposed? Well, you know, I, I really don't want to like flip anyone out because, you know, there's no special knowledge here. We're all just hanging out chatting. I, I, I don't know that there is like a totally looming tomorrow type threat. But I think the big concern and the reason we're doing this thought experiment uh, is, again, that the chaos and confusion of this moment within the company definitely has the potential to create even more vulnerability and, and expose things even more. So I'm really curious about DMs in particular. 
When you go to delete a DM on Twitter, you get a pretty clear message that says it's been deleted for you, but it hasn't been deleted for the person or people on the other end of that message thread. Um, Twitter also notoriously doesn't have end-to-end encrypted messaging. It seems like it's pretty insecure as far as those things go. Lily, how exactly does that work? Is there any way to actually delete your Twitter DMs? So it's a very good question. I do not know the answer, and I don't think the answer is really known, partly because of the comms department breakdown in this current moment. But, you know, partly it's been unclear for a long time. Like, I think people have been asking this for a long time. I I also, you know, have been trying to ask Twitter about this for a while. Um, Your best shot is to get yourself and the other party or parties that were in the chat to all delete the messages in question, uh, you know, so it's deleted on all the ends, you know, as we call it. Whether or not that actually results in Twitter on its own servers permanently deleting the data after a period of time, uh, we just don't know. And I, I don't think anyone has been able to find out. Mm-hmm. Right. It's incredibly reassuring. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> I think like 70% of my DMs are probably, hi, it was really nice to meet you at fill in the blank conference. Let's stay in touch. And then that was like seven years ago. And they never wrote back. Or like they did. And then we were like, yeah, let's stay in touch. And then like maybe, I don't know, you see them in another conference three years later. Like I don't, I don't think I have a lot of stuff in DMs, but Elon Musk owns our DMs now, folks. Yeah, it is kind of sobering to think about. And, you know, I know that when you delete your account, when you say, I would like to not have a Twitter account anymore and you delete everything, if you don't log in for 30 days, the company says that it's going to erase all of your information, which includes your DMs, all your tweets, all your profile information, all your location information and your social graph, right? Like who your friends were on Twitter. But that's what they say. We don't really know what their actual data retention practices are. We just know what their data retention policies are. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a really important thing to point out because Twitter's policy on account deactivation says, quote, if you do not log back into your account for the 30 days following the deactivation, your account will be permanently deactivated. Once permanently deactivated, all information associated with your account is no longer available in our production tools. (laughs) <laughs> what is that? So the word delete never once is there. <laughs> right. It's no There's... longer available. In our production tools. Wow. I'm going to say that like next time I delete somebody's number. They are no longer available in my contact tools. <laughs> in my production tool. <laughs> and uh, someone also pointed out to me that 30 days is actually not enough time to comply with all the data retention requirements that companies like Twitter would be under. They're not required to, you know, keep data forever, but uh, Twitter may have data retention obligations that go beyond 30 days, which would also make that whole thing confusing or indicate that, you know, deactivation is not the same as deletion. Hmm. Okay, and separate but related to my question about deleting DMs, in the past, both Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk have talked about creating some kind of end-to-end encryption messaging system for Twitter. What's the status of that? 
Yes, I don't know the current status of that. I Once again, Elon has not responded to your tweet. <laughs> right. I, though, <laughs> to be fair, I did not specifically tweet at him about that in the recent past. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, people, you know, have said for a while that it might be coming. Uh, I support it at, you know, any time. It's, gr- it's great. I think uh, as many apps and services as possible as can roll out end-to-end encryption should it feels to me like right now would not be the moment when Twitter could actually deploy that, even if there's already been a bunch of work on it. But like I said, would love to be wrong and for them to, you know, release it at any time. It is possible. It's just like Twitter in this moment of crisis probably wouldn't be trusted as much. So for the people with their finger on the pulse of what's going on at Twitter... A lot of them are just sort of adopting a wait and see attitude. Some people are leaving. They're going to Mastodon. Uh, most Twitter users are just continuing to use Twitter as normal, which is, you know, to be expected and and is fine. It's sort of what happens whenever there's big upheaval, you know, political intrigue inside of a company doesn't necessarily trickle down to everybody who who is a customer of that company. But what are you doing, Lily? Are you panicking? Are you leaving? Are you hanging out to watch what happens? When you said finger on the pulse, I thought you were going to say finger on the trigger. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Okay, yes, I have not left Twitter. So, you know, my my first thought is I I haven't changed a ton about uh, how I'm using Twitter yet. Definitely don't leak things that are damaging to Elon Musk to journalists (laughs) on Twitter DM, do leak things that are, you know, uh, going to be illustrative of what's going on inside the company to journalists on more secure platforms, such as Signal. Uh, But don't create new problems for yourself. You know, what's done is done. You know, what, what you were DMing about that's embarrassing in 2013 or whatever, it is what it is. But, you know, I would be extra vigilant now about not generating new privacy issues for yourself in Twitter DMs or, you know, uh, uh, private tweets and things like that. You know, I I would advise, like, personally, I would not have signed up for Twitter Blue in recent weeks, simply, or in the past week, (laughs) whenever that briefly (laughs) happened. Uh, Like, first of all, because I personally didn't see want to or see a benefit to doing it, but second of all, because I wouldn't have wanted to provide more data to Twitter uh, in order to do it. So, so that's one thing. Something I haven't personally done, but that you could do if you want to be more paranoid, you know, or, or sort of more aggressive about insulating yourself from risk of potential fallout, would be to delete the app from your phone. Uh, and only use uh, Twitter in a web browser, which would, you know, potentially uh, mitigate or would mitigate that potential rogue app uh, situation. But as I said, I haven't done that yet. I'm not necessarily saying you should, just trying to give people some ideas about, you know, the parameters of how to think about these things. That's great advice. Thanks. Your productivity will shoot through the roof, too. Not having Twitter on your phone. Yeah, benefits all around. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. What are you what are you both thinking? Like, has it been bugging you? 
I mean, I've been on Twitter since 2009, I think, maybe 2008. And so I do have like a long history at Twitter, but I don't really feel like going through all of my old DMs and figuring out what's what. It's It seems like there should be like an opportunity to batch delete your DMs, but maintain other elements of your Twitter account or go through and like delete all the media you've ever attached to tweets in case there's metadata baked into the media, but like not delete other things. But you can't. It's like you have you have to either like just delete Twitter or or live with it. You should submit that request to the features team and see how long it takes for them to implement it. That's great. Do you have their email? I was going to say, meanwhile, we don't even know if we can delete any data off of Twitter at right. all. <laughs> right. So it just feels like a moot point. Um, it feels like there's a lot of onus being put on the user right now for what is becoming an increasingly user hostile experience. Right. What are your thoughts, Mike? I'm going to wait and see. Um, if the time comes when it feels like the right thing to do is to delete everything and bail, I will have no problems doing that. Mm-hmm. When the time comes to let it go, let it go. Let it go. Life is too short to worry about a Twitter account. That's what I always say. It is. Always. I say that all the time. I've heard you say it. <laughs> all right. Well, Lily, thanks for this invigorating conversation about uh, where this is all headed. Even if we don't have a lot of detail, it was great to get some good advice. So thanks. Yeah. I'm always happy to spread the joy. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll do our recommendations. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, B as in boy, I, N as in Nancy, G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. All right, Lily, you are our guest, so you get to go first. What is your recommendation for the people? My recommendation this week is a type of protein bar. It's called Wicked Protein Bar. And oh, is it from Massachusetts? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I've only tried one flavor, and I'm recommending that flavor, but I can't speak to any of the other flavors. Uh, so maybe this is of limited use. But the flavor I want to recommend is maple. And my reason for recommending this is that I don't know if anyone else feels this way. Very hard to find a protein bar that's like low sugar, good amount of protein, doesn't taste gross, but also that I actively like and can eat again and again. Do, do you do you all know what I'm talking about? Like I, yes. I usually yes. I'll eat a protein bar and I'm like, yeah, oh, okay, great. This is good. And then I go to eat it again and I'm like, no, I'm sick of it. Like I don't yeah. want another one. <laughs> or, or you eat one and you just think like, okay, that was sustenance. Right. Now I yeah. can live for another hour. <laughs> I mean, and this... You know, even the wicked maple protein bars, that that's pretty much all we're 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 getting to. I, I wouldn't say it's like a favorite food, but I can eat them like 
you know, multiple times in whatever a month or a week or whatever it is and um, get through it and like not be just like, I don't know, throwing it out or like so fed up with myself for putting placing myself in the situation. Um, <laughs> but similar to the last time I was on the show when I recommended uh, a type of N95 mask and provided the disclosure that the masks are very unattractive. I do feel the need to provide a disclosure this time that other people who have tried the protein bars did not like them. So uh, when I've, you know, given them to friends or been like, oh, yeah, these protein bars are so good. They said they thought the flavor was gross and they don't understand because it's not sweet. That's the thing. Okay. I don't like when protein bars are super sweet. So this is what you get when you have me on the show. My recommendations are like a real mixed bag, but for my palate, Wicked Protein Bars in maple, 15 grams of protein, 2 grams of sugar, and I'm seeing here it says certified clean. (laughs) Well, that's something I always look for in foods that I'm eating. Certified clean? What, like it's PG? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, exactly. That I, I, I need a G rating for my protein bars. Anyway, that's my recommendation. That's that, a pretty good one. That sounds both delicious and nutritious. Thank you for the recommendation. Lauren, what is your recommendation? Um, I just have to say, while Lily was giving her excellent recommendation, I was going through my Twitter inbox, and I went all the way back to my very first DM on Twitter. My very first DMs were in 2009, June 2009, and it was just a series of people saying, hey, thanks for the follow. Like there's a... Cause <laughs> Old that's school. What, that's what people did then. Yeah. Like Old there's school. a... It's like there's someone with the handle Citizen Free Press, and it's thanks for the follow. And then Runner's World, which I followed. Thanks for the follow. That's it. That's it. That's the excitement. <sighs> Okay, Lauren, what is your recommendation? My recommendation this week is Andy Greenberg's new book, Tracers in the Dark. Andy is a colleague of ours. He works closely with Lily on our security desk. And I have to admit, I have not yet read Andy's book. It just came out. And I'm hoping that we will have the opportunity to have Andy on the show at some point to talk about it because he's doing the uh, the press circuit for it now. But his book, Tracers in the Dark, is about the investigators chasing criminals through the very dark crypto underworld. Um, He interviews um, prosecutors, industry analysts, even some criminals themselves. He writes about how there are these clues in the pseudo-anonymous decentralized blockchain that are tipping off investigators to these crimes. Um, And it has a lot of bigger implications, I think, for like our concepts of privacy and anonymity on the web. Andy is just a really powerful, masterful writer and excellent reporter. And um, so I look forward to reading it, but I recommend it for everyone else right now. Tracers in the Dark. Nice. Since you were scrolling during my recommendation, mm-hmm. I was reading during your recommendation. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. But I, I have read Tracers in the Dark. So I just want to uh, provide a testimonial, a reader testimonial, that it is really great. And it is not... If you are super into like investing and the business of cryptocurrency or something. It's not about that. But for me, that was a big plus. Like, you know, what I really wanted to learn about was the technology that underlies the blockchain and why there was this misconception 
that particularly Bitcoin transactions are untraceable? Why did people think that? Why did criminals think that? And why is it untrue? Like, how can you trace these transactions? And that has meant uh, a lot of good things for law enforcement in terms of their ability to track cyber criminals, which uh, Andy, you know, details in the book. But he also talks about the potential privacy implications of being able to trace transactions and historically back through time because the blockchain is this indelible record uh, of everything that's ever happened. So, yeah, just wanted to uh, piggyback on just a quick reader recommendation. Thanks, Lily. That's awesome. And I think curious readers can also check out an excerpt of Andy's book that is currently running on Wired.com. I think it's a four-part excerpt. Ooh, that's exciting. It's, yeah. it's so many parts, and it's so good and so exciting. Uh, <laughs> so it'll be in the show notes, right? Yes, it will. Mike, what's your recommendation this week? My recommendation is a Netflix show called The Sandman. And it is an adaptation of a comic book from the late 80s, early 90s, written by Neil Gaiman, a very famous comic book. It is a really well done comic book adaptation. And, you know, if you know me at all, then you know that that's not something I say that often. But uh, it's a it's a great show. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, My wife is really enjoying it. It's a story of these folks who are immortals and they live in the sort of ether realm in and out of reality. And one of them gets trapped by this person who's like an occultist who casts spells to try and trap immortals and is held hostage uh, for a hundred years and then escapes and has to reclaim all of the things that he lost that were stolen from him, that were raided from him. And that sort of sets him off on this series of adventures. I don't want to say anything more than that. I don't want to give it away, but it is fun. It's very emo. Uh, it's very dark. Uh, it's very adult. All the things that you want from a good comic book adaptation on Netflix. So that's my recommendation. The Sandman. Who stars in it? Uh, Nobody that you know. It's all British people. Although I will say David Thewlis is in it. David Thewlis, the famous actor. Yeah, you're shaking your head no. Uh, You'll recognize him if you see him. Okay. Yeah, he's he's a, a, a dramatist, a really great actor. And he's quite good in this. He plays a villain. So the protagonist is the Sandman? Yeah. He's kind of an anti-hero because, you know, he's somebody who's not really nice to people. He's kind of a jerk. Uh, but he has a crow and his crow is funny. I think Patton Oswalt does voice of the crow. So there are two famous people in it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Anyway, that's my rec. It's a good one. Thank you for that. And thank you, Lily, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I just scrolled back in my Twitter DMs. And it looks like my first one ever is from the Baltimore Sun welcoming me to Twitter. Wow. <laughs> oh, those are the days. Wow, the Baltimore Sun. Did David Simon send it? I uh, I hope so. Probably not. <laughs> but I was living in Baltimore at the time. So I guess that's the tie-in. Uh, but yes, thank you for having me. And everyone, stay safe out there. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter still. Just check the show notes. Our producer is Boone Ashworth. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. 
Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. 